This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. I'd like for you to look with me into 1 Samuel chapter number 26 this morning. 1 Samuel chapter number 26. And we'll begin reading uh, in verse number 1. 1 Samuel chapter number 26. And verse number 1. The Bible tells us, And the Ziphites came unto Saul to Gibeah, saying, Doth not David hide himself in the hill of Hekilah, which is before Jeshimon. Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul pitched in the hill of Hekilah, which is before Jeshimon, by the way. But David abode in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul was come in very deed. And David arose and came to the place where Saul had pitched, and David beheld the place where Saul lay. And Abner, the son of Ner, the captain of his host, and Saul lay in the trench, and the people pitched round about him. Then answered David and said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Abishai the son of Zeruiah, brother, of, brother to Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul to the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with thee. So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and behold, Saul lay sleeping within the trench, and his spear stuck in the ground at his bolster. But Abner and the people lay round about him. Then said Abishai to David, God hath delivered thine enemy into thine hand this day. Now therefore let me smite him, I pray thee, with the spear even to the earth at once, and I will not smite him the second time. And David said to Abishai, Destroy him not, for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, Furthermore, as the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed. But I pray thee, take thou now the spear that is at his bolster and the cruise of water and let us go. So David took the spear and the cruise of water from Saul's bolster. And they got them away and no man saw it nor knew it, neither awaked, for they were all asleep because the deep sleep from the Lord was fallen upon them. Then David went over to the other side and stood on the top of a hill afar off and a great space being between them. And David cried to the people and to Abner the son of Ner, saying, Answerest thou not, Abner? Then Abner answered and said, Who art thou that criest to the king? And David said to Abner, Art not thou a valiant man? And who is like to thee in Israel? Wherefore then hast thou not kept thy lord the king? For there came one of the people in to destroy the king thy lord. This thing is not good that thou hast done. As the Lord liveth, ye are worthy to die, because ye have not kept your master, the Lord's anointed. And now we see, uh, or now, excuse me, and now see where the king's spear is and the cruise of water that was at his bolster. 
And Saul knew David's voice and said, Is this thy voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, Wherefore doth my lord thus pursue after his servant? For what have I done? Or what evil is in mine hand? Now therefore I pray thee, let my lord the king hear the words of his servant. If the Lord have stirred thee up against me, let him accept an offering. But if they be the children of men, cursed be they before the Lord. For they have driven me out this day from abiding in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. Now therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea, as when one doth hunt a partridge in the mountains. Then said Saul, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do thee harm, because my soul was precious in thine eyes this day. Behold, I have played the fool and have erred exceedingly. And David answered and said, Behold the king's spear, and let one of the young men come over and fetch it. The Lord rendered to every man his righteousness and his faithfulness, for the Lord delivered thee into my hand today, but I would not stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed. And behold, as thy life was much set by this day in mine eyes, so let my life be much set by in thine eyes or the eyes of the Lord. And let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be thou, my son David. Thou shalt both do great things, and also shalt still prevail. So David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. I want you to notice what the Bible says in verse 25. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be thou, my son David, for thou shalt both do great things, and also shalt still prevail. I want to speak to you on this subject this morning, and that is this. We find it here in verse 25. David prevailed again. David prevailed again. The theme we find here in this chapter is very familiar to us because in chapter number 24, we found Saul pursuing David, and Saul wanders into a cave unknowing or unknowingly wandered into that cave because David was in that cave hiding. Saul was totally unaware of that, and he went into the cave, the Bible said, to cover his feet. And so while Saul was doing so, one of, his, uh, one of David's men whispered to David and said, here's your opportunity. The Lord has delivered your enemy into your hand. Go and smite him. Uh, we know that David took uh, whatever instrument he had, whether it be a sword or a knife, and he, he, he went carefully to where Saul had laid his robe, and he cut off the fringe uh, of uh, the robe of Saul, but he did not touch Saul. His men protested, wondering why he didn't end it once and for all, because Saul had been unjust in his dealings as a king and in his pursuit with David, and so as far as they could tell, Saul certainly deserved it. David was the anointed king. Saul, who had been anointed, had now been rejected by God. And so it seemed like the right thing to do in the eyes of men to go ahead and take care of Saul. But David refused. If you remember, he ran after Saul after Saul exited the cave. And David, with that fringe of the garment that he'd cut off from the robe, of Saul in his hand, he explained to Saul, I could have killed you had I wanted, 
but the truth is I've never wanted to harm you. Why is it that you're seeking for me? And Saul then, of course, expresses remorse for his actions and pledges that he will no more go after David. And then we have a very similar account that we read here in chapter 26. Chapter 25 has similarities as well because David, uh, having been angered by the revilings of and the reproaches of Nabal, has decided that he was going to go and kill Nabal. And, of course, as we learned last week, Abigail met him along the way and reasoned with him, explaining to him that no good would come of it. David listened to the words of Abigail and decided not to take matters into his own hand, and then he found within a few days that God had dealt with the problem himself. And we learned it is always better when God deals with the problem. Uh, coming fresh off that lesson, then, David has, is presented with the, another opportunity to take Saul's life. It's no doubt very discouraging for David to have heard the word that Saul was after him again, especially after Saul had pledged not to come after him. But nevertheless, here he comes again. And because David chose to be obedient and not listen to the voice of Abishai and not smite Saul, because of that, we find that David prevailed. He prevailed not the way of the world, but he prevailed in the way of faith again. I thought of a song because I, I kept thinking about this theme of again. And I remember a song I've heard often, maybe you've heard it too. Once again, it begins, once again, I faced Satan this morning. And I battled him all the day long. But in my weakness, God sent reinforcements. And at sundown, I'll sing victory song. In a world filled with doubts and confusion, it's so hard when you don't understand. But I'll stand on a solid foundation. And I'll hold to an unchanging hand. And the sun's coming up in the morning. Every tear will be gone from my eye. This old clay is going to give way to glory. And like an eagle, I'll take to the sky. You see, once again, the songwriter said, I, I face Satan this morning. David said, once again, I face Satan and uh, I face Saul. No doubt David was weary. He was tired of wondering when all of this would finally end. Maybe you find yourself or have found yourself in that same place. Just the same old thing, day after day. You thought it was going to end, but it hasn't. And you're wondering why is God allowing it and what is God doing through it? Well, that's really the question, isn't it? David prayed a prayer. In Psalm 17, verse 5, I don't know if it was written in particular around this occasion, but there were many occasions very similar, and it certainly applies to this. Psalm 17, and verse 5, here's the prayer of David to the Lord. Hold up my goings in thy paths, that my footsteps slip not. I have called upon thee, for thou wilt hear me. O God, incline thine ear unto me, and hear my speech. Show thy marvelous loving kindness, O thou that savest by thy right hand them which put their trust in thee from those that rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings from the wicked that oppress me.
from my deadly enemies who compassed me about. David said, show me thy loving kindness, O thou that savest by thy right hand. You know, the right hand is the hand of strength. He's saying, God, deliver me. Use your strong arm. <laughs> Use your right hand. Well, how does God do that? He does that when we learn, as David said, to put our trust in thee from those that rise up against them. You see, the temptation is with our right hand to come against them. But David learned to prevail again by committing himself again to the Lord. Some of you have, uh, like me, no doubt, have resolved at the beginning of the week that this is it, you're going to buckle down, you're on a diet, and then invariably what happens, you find that you have been offered a piece of cheesecake or uh, something to that nature, and maybe you say the first time, no, no, thank you, I'm, I'm on a diet, and then after everyone else has been served, maybe the cheesecake comes back for one final invitation, and again you're asked, are you sure? This is grandma's recipe. It's the best cheesecake you'll ever eat in your entire life. And all of a sudden, with the second opportunity, you've decided, well, okay, I'll go ahead and have it. S sort of where David finds himself. He's resisted the urge to take Saul's life, but now here's Saul again. Now, we'll note some things in this passage. I, I want you to note, first of all, that Saul returned to seek David. He said he wouldn't come back, but he did. The Bible tells us in verse number one, and the Ziphites came unto Saul to Gibeah, saying, Doth not David hide himself in the hill of Hekilah, which is before Jeshimon? This is the second time the Ziphites attempted this tactic concerning Saul and David. They had come to uh, Saul in, in chapter 23 and verse number 19, and they had offered to help Saul find David. Now, there's no doubt that they'd heard the news of what had happened earlier when Ahimelech the priest was slain, and all the priests and all the dwellers who lived in the city of Nob, which was the city of priests, when Doeg killed them at the command of Saul because Saul judged that uh, they had been loyal to David and not to him. And so the Ziphites certainly didn't want that to happen again, right? So they decided, we're going we're gonna, to uh, make sure that Saul knows that we are loyal. And any time we hear about David, we're going to make sure that Saul knows about it. And so here they come the second time. It's almost as if they can't be content tending to their own business. They're looking for an opportunity to inject themselves into the business of others. We know people like that. Sometimes we become people like that. That's the kind of people the Ziphites apparently were. They came to Saul and they said, we know you said you weren't going to pursue David anymore, but we've got some news for you. We found him, and we think that you can take him and be done with him once and for all because truly we're loyal to you, Saul. And so Saul, having heard their proposal, uh, he said, well, I, I think since... Uh, you know where he's at, and you've come to me. I, I didn't go hunting for David. You, you've come to me and presented me with this temptation, so I think I'll go up and look for him. And so he does. 
and the chase is on. Look in verse 2. Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Paul pitched in the hill of Hekilah, or Saul pitched in the hill of Hekilah, which is before Jeshimon, by the way. But David abode in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul was come in very deep. So here's Saul on the chase, and therefore David remains on the run. Jeshimon means wilderness. I don't think life would have been very enjoyable out there, do you? Hot days in the wilderness, cold nights in the caves, and the question comes, what was it all for? Why would the Lord, or why did he rather, after he had chosen David to be the king, why did he allow Saul to hunt him like a partridge? Why would the Lord permit it? If David was his choice, then why, why go through all of this rigmarole concerning uh, the hunt? And why, and why is David persecuted? He's done nothing wrong. He's going to maintain his cause here in just a moment, as we've already read, but we'll review it again. So David has a question. Why? That's a natural question, isn't it? Why? Job asked that question when his suffering came upon him. Why? Well, we're going to learn that the reason God allowed it was because God was sending David to school. He was in the king's school. He was going to learn to be a king. And he was going to learn it in the wilderness. It was his preparation for the throne. Just as Moses unwittingly prepared to lead the Israelites out of Egypt and through the desert by learning to keep his father-in-law's sheep on the backside of the wilderness. You know, Moses thought at one point when he was about 40 years old, well, I'm the man to deliver my people. And so he smote one of the Egyptians. And then the next day, uh, some of the Israelites called him out for it. He knew this thing was known. He found out the Pharaoh had heard about it and was pursuing him. And so Moses fled. He fled to the backside of the, of the wilderness. And he met uh, a man and began to tend his sheep and married one of the man's daughters and for 40 years on the backside of the wilderness, Moses learned how to be a leader. God prepared him. The Lord has often sent his servants into the wilderness for further training. Joseph, who had the dream, you remember the dream of Joseph? The sun, the moon, the stars, they bowed down to me. Joseph knew that God had a position for him, a place for him a work for him to do, but he never anticipated that his own brothers would sell him to Midianite merchantmen, that he would be led through the desert to Egypt in chains, that he would be sold into the house of Potiphar, that he would be cast into an Egyptian prison. He never dreamed that all of those things would happen. It certainly made no sense at the time, but what was God doing? God was putting... Joseph in the place and giving him the experience that he would need to lead the nation of Egypt and save the world from famine. David, as I said, learned how to be a king by dwelling in caves. John the Baptist preached and prepared the way of the Lord by 
ministering in the wilderness. Paul, after his conversion, left Damascus and spent three years in Arabia, isolated, just him and the Lord, and then he returned to Jerusalem, and God greatly used him. You see, God sends his people into the wilderness, and he does so to equip them and to train them. Gene Edwards, who wrote a book called A Tale of Three Kings concerning the life of David and how it was uh, so afflicted by Saul, he writes concerning David. He said, David, the sheep herder, would have grown up to become King Saul II, except that God cut away the Saul inside David's heart. You see, when we study the life of Saul, we find that Saul had a great beginning, didn't he? I mean, here he is. He's, he's a natural leader. I mean, his appearance, his height, and his stature, every, everything about him, he, he looked to be a natural leader. And then he, he, was, he was chosen by the Lord, and he was anointed uh, by the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> the Spirit of God came upon him. He had a, a good beginning, but after he assumed his position of power, he began to rule not submitted to the Lord, but submitted to his own cause and to his own needs. He determined at some point that he really knew better than what God had commanded him to do, and so he decided not to do what God had commanded him to do. He usurped the office of Samuel by offering the sacrifice. He refused in the matter of the Malachites to utterly destroy the enemy, though he'd been clearly commanded to do so. And then he became a vindictive, jealous, unstable person who was not concerned for the welfare of the nation of Israel. He was concerned for his own welfare. He was not concerned about pleasing the God who had chosen him. He was concerned about pleasing himself. And the potential for King Saul to arise in the life of David, that was a very real threat. And by the way, let me just say this. The potential for King Saul to rule in the caverns of your heart is a very real, a very real threat. To become selfish and self-willed and, 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 and to... To, to decide that uh, if somebody uh, is in your way or somebody's impeding your personal happiness, that you can just uh, do away with them. This is the point that Gene Edwards is making. He's saying David the sheep herder would have grown up to become King Saul II. And God did not allow that to happen. So how did God cut King Saul? out of David's heart. Well, he goes on to tell us. He, he says that operation, by the way, took years and was brutalizing, was a brutalizing experience that almost killed the patient. And what were the scalpel and tongs God used to remove this inner Saul? God used the outer Saul. King Saul sought to destroy David. But his only success was that he became the instrument of God to put to death the Saul who roamed about in the caverns of David's own soul. Yes, David was virtually destroyed in the process, but this had to be. Otherwise, the Saul in him 
would have survived. You see, what is God using Saul to do? He's using to put Saul to death. Not the Saul that was in the cave, the Saul that was in the soul of David. You say, why is God allowing me to deal with all this? Because God wants to work on you. God wants to work on you. Will you allow him to work on you? The second thing we see here is that David refused to smite Saul. This is the second time. The Bible says in verse 5 that David arose and he came to the place where Saul had pitched. So now David's got a perspective. He can see what's happening, right? He beheld the place where Saul lay, and Abner, the son of Ner, the captain of Saul's hosts, and Saul lay in the trench, and the people pitched round about him. Then answered David and said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, brother, of jo- uh, brother to Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul to the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with thee. So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and behold, Saul lay sleeping within the trench, and his spear stuck in the ground at his bolster. Bolster is just simply his bed. But Abner and the people lay round about him. Then said Abishai to David, God hath delivered thine enemy into thine hand this day. Now therefore let me smite him, I pray thee, with the spear, even to the earth at once, and I will not smite him the second time. Now Abishai says, David, here you go. God has delivered your enemy. That was what was said to David in the cave before. And Abishai repeats it, except this time Abishai doesn't say, David, you go ahead and kill him. He says, since you won't touch the Lord's anointed, let me do it. I'll touch him. I'll smite him. And I'll only have to do it once. But David said to Abishai in verse 9, destroy him not. For who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, furthermore, as the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. Now, where did David learn this lesson? Well, he learned it in the previous chapter. Because Abigail said, David, if you go and kill Nabal, even though he's a wretched man, and maybe he deserves it, if you go and do so, you need to understand this is going to be a mark against you. This is going to be a grief against your soul and a mark against you as the king of Israel. David, don't worry about Nabal. Just give it to God. And by the way, David heeded her advice, and within a few days, what happened? God dealt with Nabal. David's learning some lessons, isn't he? He says, Abishai, there's no reason for us to do this. The Lord's going to take care of it. Or his day shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. And that is exactly what happened. He was died in battle. Verse 11, the Lord forbid that I should stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed. But I pray thee, take now the spear that is at his bolster and the cruise of water and let us go. We're, we're going to take this from him because we want him to know that we were here. So David took the spear and the cruise of water from Saul's bolster and they get them away and no man saw it nor knew it, neither awaked for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord was falling upon them. The reason they were able to sneak in and have this conversation is because, and flee and get away, is because God had put them all to sleep. If he can put Adam to sleep and perform an operation, he can put these soldiers to sleep, can he? And so he did. 
And here we find that David refused to smite Saul. Well, you might say, David, you had him in the cave and you refused to end it. And then David might say, I did. I had him in the cave. And I refused to touch the Lord's anointed, but I, I did the right thing. Well, David, if you did the right thing, then why is he back again? I mean, how many times do you have to do the right thing? I mean, when, when, when are you going to just end this once and for all? I know you're trying to do the right thing, but it's not paying off. Have you ever been there, by, by the way? Well, Lord, you said if I do right, you'd bless me, but I still got this Saul to contend with. I still have this problem. I'm paying my tithes, but I'm still having financial trouble. I'm, I'm doing right, but my boss is still after me. I, I, I'm, I'm doing all I can, but my parents won't get off my back. You, you see, these are the things that we all say, right? John Woodhouse, in his commentary on 1 Samuel, writes these words. He said, David had now learned, however, that Saul was not going to change. Mercy had achieved nothing. Boy, that's a hopeless place to be, isn't it? Saul's not going to change. There's nothing I can do. I've extended mercy, and he still hasn't changed. Well, surely now he deserves the sword. Why don't I take that spear that he's thrown at me two prior occasions, and why don't I just end it now? That is the temptation. But again, David said no. I will not touch the Lord's anointed. You see, here's the lesson for us. God expects us to do right, even when it seems there's no immediate reward. There's no excuse. There's no exceptions. You and I who know God have the responsibility to do right regardless of what others do. And that flies in the face of the natural man, does it not? There are people who are in business and they deal with cutthroat associates and they're tempted to give it back to them. There are people who live in neighborhoods where they have neighbors who literally want to run over them and they're thinking, not anymore. There are homes where there's hatred and enmity, and we think, well, I must answer it the same way. No, you must not. David refused to smite Saul. Then we see, thirdly, that David reproved Saul. He reproved him. In verse 13, the Bible said David went over to the other side and stood on the top of a hill afar off, a great space being between them. And David cried to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Answerest thou not, Abner? Then Abner answered and said, Who art thou that criest to the king? And David said to Abner, Art not thou a valiant man? And who is like to thee in Israel? Wherefore then hast thou not kept the Lord the king? For there came one of the people to destroy the king thy Lord. This thing is not good that thou hast done. As the Lord liveth, ye are worthy to die, because ye have not kept your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is in the cruise of water that was at his bolster. You hear David, he's yelling maybe across the canyon. I don't know. And he says, hey, Abner, 
And Abner says, who is that guy crying to the king? Hey, Abner, aren't you a mighty man? Aren't you the captain of the host? Isn't it your responsibility to take care of Saul? Well, guess what? You blew it, buddy. Look what I got in my hand. The spear. And the cruise of water. You know, everybody now has got their own water bottle, right? You carry it around. We're lost without it. I lost mine yesterday. No, Friday. I couldn't find it. I was worried. I was anxious. I drove over here, and it was in my office, and I felt all relieved. I had my cruise of water. Mine's nice. It's got that beautiful orange insignia on it. It's beautiful, and uh, it's, it's a prized possession. What did David have? He had the spear of Saul and his cruise of water. He had his weapon, and he had his sustenance. If you're going to be in the wilderness, you need a weapon. If you're going to be in the wilderness, you need sustenance. You need water. David had both. He said, hey, you've you failed. You failed to take care of the king. I snuck in and got this stuff. Thus, Abner was reproved. But then notice in verse 17, and Saul knew David's voice and said, is this thy voice, my son David? And David said, it is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, wherefore doth my lord thus pursue after his servant? For what have I done or what evil is in mine hand? You know, I believe this is a question that David wrestled with. I don't know that he ever got a good answer. He wrestled about this with, with Jonathan. Remember, he said to Jonathan, he said, I don't understand why your dad's trying to kill me. And remember, Jonathan even said, oh, he's not trying to kill you, only to find out later that he was. He wanted to know what he had done. There was a sense of injustice in his heart that he had been dealt unjustly with. And oftentimes when we are treated unjustly, when we feel like we've done nothing wrong and somebody's responding to us in the wrong way, we want answers for that, but we won't always get them. That's why we have to learn to commit it to the Lord. Remember when the Lord Jesus, the Bible said he, he, who when he was reviled. Now on the cross and before he went to the cross, during his trial and scourging, he was reviled. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. He was spat upon. They took the crown of thorns and shoved it down upon his brow. They whipped him with the cat of nine tails, a whip with pieces of metal and bone in it that was designed to tear the flesh off of someone's back and off their body. They spat upon him. They mocked him. If thou be the son of God come down from the cross, he was able to save others himself he cannot save. That would have been very painful to watch, would it not? Especially knowing that he had the power to come down and let them have it. But the Bible said he, who when he was reviled, when all the hatred spewed out of their mouths, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. In other words, he didn't pick up the spear and launch it after them. That's what most of us would do, definitely would want to do. But he didn't do that. What did he do then? He committed himself, the Lord Jesus committed himself to him, that's his father, who judgeth righteously. He said, wait a minute. If I have to endure this, I have to endure it. I'm committing myself to my father. 
And David is going to have to learn this. In fact, he does learn it. So he says in verse 19, Now therefore I pray thee, let my lord the king hear the words of his servant. If the lord have stirred thee up against me, let him accept an offering. In other words, if I've done something and I've sinned, and then accept an offering and let's be reconciled. But if they be the children of men, cursed be they before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day from abiding in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. You know, I think we get this picture that David became the king and everything was well, but it wasn't. He does become the king, but this web of people, these workers of iniquity, surrounded him all the days of his life. Because when he becomes king, he is the king of the entire nation. That includes those who had been loyal to Saul all those years. And David, by coming out and, and having the spear and the cruise of water in his hand, is revealing to them quite clearly that if David were really a bad guy, he had an opportunity to end it. If he really wanted to usurp Saul's throne and, and deal away with Saul, then he certainly could have. In the cave, yes, and now in the wilderness, he could have done it. And the men of Saul are seeing this. And this is going to be very important for the future of David. You know, sometimes in our daily living, we don't quite see how God is putting the dots together. And if we would learn to trust him in the moment, we would begin to see what he's doing overall. Because what God is doing here, by David saying, no, I will not kill him, he is reproving Saul and Saul's loyal men, and he is revealing clearly that David is truly worthy of the throne. Do you know there is a world all around us who needs to see Christian people who are authentic, who will respond in righteousness because they've lost hope that there remains such a thing. But if they see it, perhaps they'll be drawn to Jesus. David reproves Saul. Then we note, lastly, David rested in the salvation of the Lord. He says in verse 20, Now therefore let not my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea as when one doth hunt a partridge in the mountains. In other words, he's saying this, I have no power to kill you, Saul. I've got 600 guys out here. You've got 3,000 men. I'm no threat to you. Verse 21, then said Saul, I have sinned. That's powerful, isn't it? Return, my son David, for I will no more do thee harm, because my soul was precious in thine eyes this day. Behold, I have played the fool. Remember Nabal? His name meant fool. You remember Abigail, who had lived with a fool, was the perfect one to counsel David, who was running from a fool? He said, I have played the fool and have erred exceedingly. And David answered and said, Behold, the king's spear, and let one of the young men come over and fetch it. Now notice verse 23. The Lord render to every man his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered thee into my hand today, 
but I would not stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed. And behold, as thy life was much set by this day in mine eyes, so let my life be much set by in the eyes of the Lord, and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be thou, my son. Thou shalt both do great things, and thou shalt still prevail. So David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. You see, had David taken the spear and smote Saul with it, then everybody would have said, okay, boys, it's over. Go home. David's the king. But he would not have prevailed. He would have gotten the throne, but he would not have prevailed. You see, sometimes you get what you want, but you don't really win. Some of you who've lived long enough have learned that. Well, I won that argument, yeah, but what did it get you? Heartache. But by obeying God, what happened? David prevailed. Well, how did he do that? Because he chose to rest in the salvation of the Lord. Take it, David. Go ahead and end this thing. You'll be delivered. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to leave this in God's hands. It belongs to him. It's not my place to do so. God expects that I'm going to do right, so I'm going to do right. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give it to God, and I'm going to rest in his salvation. He is going to deliver me from my tribulation, verse 24. How do we know that? How do we know that he gave it to God? We'll look in verse 23. The Lord, what's the next word, church? Render to every man his righteousness and his faithfulness. I'm giving it to God. God sees what I'm doing, and he will return. He will recompense me. He will render unto me that which I deserve, and I'm trusting him to deliver me. The world says, go ahead and deal with this problem. It's not going away. Abishai is there. Smite him. Get rid of him. But the Lord said, no, don't touch him. That's for me. And David said, Lord, I'm going to do right. I've heard Adrian Rogers say this many times, sin cannot win and faith cannot fail. David is learning that lesson. You've heard this quote. I've heard it often, do right when the stars fall. As I said earlier, there's never a time to do wrong. There's never an excuse and there's never an exception. David said, I'm going to do right and God will bless me. Now, you know, we have a, a, a psalm of David that reveals that. Why don't you look with me? Would you, we're closing here. Go with me to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm 1. David said, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Do you know what they would have told him? Smite Saul, kill him. David said, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in that, that group or sit in their seat or stand in their way. Verse 2, but his delight, 
is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. How, how, how did that response come so quickly to David? I cannot touch the Lord's anointing because he knew the Lord's word. It was in his heart. And when the hour of temptation came, it wasn't a question. It was settled for David. He delighted in the law of the Lord. Verse 3, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff, which the wind driveth away. We see Saul there, don't we? Everything's crumbling in his life. He's losing his kingdom. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. You see, David said the blessed man is the righteous man. Now, none of us are righteous. The Bible tells us that, right? There is none righteous, no, not one. But the righteous one came, and he died on the cross, and he bore our sins in his body, and his blood made the payment for our iniquity. And if you will receive him by faith, you can be made righteous today. The righteousness of God imputed to your account. And then as a righteous person who has a righteous standing with God, we are commanded to live our lives righteously. And when we do that, we prevail. I wrote this in my notes. Saul, when given another opportunity to do right, did wrong. When the Ziphites came and said, hey, we know where he's at, Saul could have said, no, I told David I wasn't going to do that anymore. I'm going to do right. He had one more opportunity to do right, but he did wrong. And David when given another opportunity to do wrong, what did he do? He did right. May God help us. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used his word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.